I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. G'day and welcome to The Call, 10 stocks picked by you two experts one hour. It is Thursday, the 17th of November. I'm Andrew Gagan, good to have you with us. And our two experts on the show today, Philip Pepe from Shuren Partners and Mark Gardner from Macro Capital. Guys, welcome to you. And uh, the stocks we're going to be looking at in the first half of the show, Webjet, uh, out with its uh, latest results today. In fact, uh, ANZ, Austin Engineering, SIG Global, Acro, Formwork and Construction. Bit of a theme happening there in the first half of the show. Uh, but first to our stock of the day, also making news, ASX, it's hit the pause button on replacing its chess clearing system and Accenture saying it will review aspects of the chess replacement project which has currently cost the business in the range of 245 to 255 million dollars and in fact Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe is saying the announcement by the ASX after many years of investment by both the ASX and the industry is very disappointing it needs to prioritize developing a new plan to deliver safe and reliable clearing and settlement infrastructure. Just taking a look at how the stock is performing today. It is down, uh, has made a bit of a comeback, but uh, was down about 2%, now down about 1%. Uh, so let's um, see what our experts uh, think of ANZ, uh, ASX, given this has been going on for years, Mark. Um, disappointment, as Philip Lowe has said. So uh, what do you make of that latest announcement? Yeah, while the ASX is a monopoly, um, it's trying, showing true colours of, an, of a monopoly, basically, by essentially not executing on their plans because they don't have to. Um, it, look, the, uh, this has been going on for forever. Uh, there was whispers around that they were, that they were going to pause or even cancel this for, for quite a while. Um, their inability to execute despite the monopoly um, you know, it really doesn't uh, doesn't attract me at all. I think on the futures side, we've seen some ma- major market participants resign their licences recently. Uh, that's still a fair chunk of their business, but uh, with the bond market volatility, uh, which is what I used to trade, volumes are down fairly significantly there as well. Um, many other countries, you know, have seen the um, you know, seen the emergence of uh, ICE uh, come in. Uh, we've got CBOE here in Australia now. We're taking over Chiax as well. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe we're not big enough um, for them to come in and have a real swing at the ASX. But look, if you know this sort of inefficiency sort of keeps continuing, it's going to be pretty easy pickings. Um, there is a you know fledgling exchange FEX in Australia as well, um, financial energy exchange. Um, which is, you know, it's taken them a while to get their license, but if they, I mean, they potentially can gain some momentum. So that I don't think ASX just remotely justifies any sort of premium here at the moment. I think they really need to um, have a look internally and get things, get things sorted out because as a business, if it wasn't a monopoly, you'd be, I think it'd be significantly lower. So. Yeah, so get its house in order. It's, you're saying it's looking vulnerable then. Um, so 
You're saying then you wouldn't be holding I'm, on to the stock? I'd, I'd be a seller, basically. I don't think it yields enough. Um, it traditionally has a premium on the stock uh, because it's a monopoly, and, and I just think you know, there's enough money there. It's a matter of time. If they keep easing the, uh, easing the barrier of entry to other exchanges uh, in a digital world, I think that... Um, I think you're going to see someone just come in and just have, make make the ASX or Australian share market a bolt on, as mm. opposed to uh, as opposed to where traditionally it's you know, ASX had a great reputation and and held that monopoly well. Well, you know, I don't think that um, I don't think they can continue to do these sorts of things and uh, and and expect that monopoly to sort of continue because there'll be money there for someone. All right, Philip. I think the opposite, but for similar reasons, I think it's a buy. Um, it was disappointing to hear today's news, but as Mark said, this has been largely flagged, it's been taking so long. And to put into context, they're suggesting a write-off of 250 mil, 1.8% of its market cap, 2% of its market cap, hence the share price move. So mm. sounds a lot, but it's, it's actually not that much. And probably not unexpected. No, I mean, people have been waiting and waiting yeah. and waiting and geez, it's better to walk away rather than keep burning more money on a, on a project that isn't going to work. Yeah, they probably need to spend another 250 mil, so take another 2% off. But it should, as you saw in the chart earlier, it's almost at three-year lows, it's bounced a bit. Mm. The ASX is a monopoly and they can almost do what they want, they can charge what they want. If your uh, volumes have fallen, we all know um, futures volume, uh, fixed interest volumes have fallen, equity market volumes have fallen, I know that, I know that very well. Uh, IPOs are all on hold, etc. So you're buying it if you buy today with a very pessimistic forecast. We know equity markets work longer term, we know capital markets will come back, companies will list again, companies will look to raise capital, turnover will increase in more normal times. So better to buy a company like the ASX at a three-year low than at a three-year high, mm. um, given the expectations are quite low, given Nick and use today and why can't they fix it. So for me, for the genuine long-term investor, and you buy the ASX, um, the ASX exists, to, for, among other reasons, to provide liquidity to shares. Um, now is a good time to buy it for on a three-year view. It might be choppy for the next twelve months, um, mm. but if you think three years plus, uh, seventy bucks is probably a good entry point. To Mark's point, um, is, do you feel as though it's vulnerable at this point? You know, when you've got the likes of of Cibo there, um, perhaps trying to uh, you know muscle their way in further. Chiax, others have tried to muscle their way in for a while. SFE yeah. used to be separately listed until they merged. Um, would have happened by now. Uh, you're probably not going to muscle your way in during a bear market. You probably do that during a bull market. Uh, subject to takeover rules, maybe it's subject to takeover. Uh, unlikely, I think it'll be um, mm -hmm. not possible for a foreign entity to own it. Uh, but it would make more sense for someone to buy it at this price and say, right, we'll, we'll do what you can't do, rather than to someone enter in you know, pessimistic view on markets at the moment. You don't. Yeah, the, regu the regulators have flagged in the past that they, yeah. they wanted Australian owned. Um, and look, and and if they do get their house in order, you know, I'll have another look. But yep. at this point in time, um, yeah, that's that's it. Really needs to it really needs to improve its game before we start looking at it again. All right. Well, uh, there's a differing perspective right there, just as far as ASX is concerned. Just before we get into stocks as picked by you, um, Phil, how are you seeing uh, the broader market uh, at the moment? In fact, you know, how closely you're paying attention? What's going on at the macro level? Just got the latest. Um, Jobs numbers out today, unemployment falling again. Are you sort of top down, bottom up? How are you looking at it at the moment? Always, I'm a bottom up analyst, but I always mm. look at the top down periodically, every month, every three months. And we had a presentation from our chief investment officer earlier in the week. Um, 
the, from a, not the best phrase, from a macro point of view, the worst seems to almost be over. Like, I mean, US inflation is still out of control. We, we've got full employment. That's uh, both a problem and an opportunity for some of the companies I look at and that we'll talk about today. Um, but I think the view in the two economies that matter most to us, Australia and the US, is while the interest rates will keep rising and we're not there yet, they'll keep rising at a slower rate. And for me, that's a sign that maybe the markets have bottomed, maybe not quite at the bottom, but you know, the US may not raise by 75 bips next time, maybe it's 50. Mm. We've moved from 50 to 25. There's debate as to whether we go another 100, whether the US goes another 100. I think consensus is for the US to get to 5, uh, 5% cash and for us 4, 3 and a half, 4. Uh, we're almost there. Let's say we get there in three months um, or in six months time. I think the worst is almost behind us from a macro point of view. Inflation's not quite under control, but it's moving in the right direction. So we don't have to hit the handbrake harder. Uh, so it's not as bad as it seemed back in September when the world was coming to an end and equity markets were you know, falling away pretty aggressively. So potentially a Santa rally. Even as we're seeing now, we have rallied. Potentially, yeah. yeah. Potentially Santa rally. Potentially people closing their books into Christmas. Yep. Uh, but I think a, a first half calendar 23, um, was probably more likely to be positive than, than negative. Okay, Mark, what's your view? Yeah, we, we sort of start top down, um, pick sectors and then try to pick best in field. Um, overall, I, I, I sort of agree there'll be, there'll be buoyancy into Christmas, but I think you know, it'll, still be, it'll still be largely volatile. Um, we've got one more inflation print, one more FMC, um, one more RBA. So, um, those, those can still throw a spanner in the works overall. Um, I agree uh, with Philip's uh, view that inflation and, and rates now, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and thankfully it's not the oncoming train. And, uh, and essentially I'd be more positive probably first quarter, of, uh, first quarter of next year when we get a few more data points and, um, and we can really confirm that inflation has peaked and that interest rates are going to be going towards a peak as well. And we'll probably, I think next year will be pretty range range bound. I don't think, I don't, really don't see us breaking this 12 month range um, next year overall. And I think it'll be a very much a stock pickers market because we're still dealing with the aftermath of obviously pandemic, QE into inflation and tightening. I don't mm. think those things get solved in you know the blink of an eye. So um, I think next year you'll be you'll be still playing ranges uh, overall and um, and and try to it'll be still sort of focused on that value end rather than the growth end and you know maybe start to pick up some of those quality uh quality growth companies on a, on a longer term view um uh, particularly towards the end of, you know if we're, if we're one rate hike away from the end of the cycle sort of thing yep. i think that um you know the market by that stage will be uh you know will be past worrying about interest rates all right well let's uh, get into the stocks as picked by you and uh our first one is Webjet. It could also be a, a stock of the day given it has just uh, reported, in fact. And uh, Simon wanted to know about this one. It, um, it certainly turned around. In fact, that's the way that the, um, the company is looking at a spectacular t- uh, turnaround, they're saying. And its shares, as a consequence, have soared or they've taken off as such. And there you can see right there, well, that's over the past 12 months, but it's currently up over 8.5% this morning. And uh, that is off the back of uh, first half earnings there, uh, turning it around from a $29 million loss to $32 million profit. Uh, revenue up more than 200%, bookings up more than 130%. Mark, 
it is a spectacular turnaround. It is, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's a pretty, like, it's not just obviously the website, the Webbeds business, uh, they've got some key investments in some, um, in some smaller businesses as well. I think they've used their time fairly well over the pandemic. It's one that we've been, we've been worried about, but you know, when we were asked uh, what our pick has generally been in this sector, we've, we've usually gone to Webjet. Um, obviously, you know, if you're looking at the chart, you've got to be wary of the fact that they issued quite a few shares. So we are effectively around, we're through record highs in terms of market cap basis, uh, although not share price basis. So you know, a lot of this recovery is, is priced in. Um, however, I think the, you know, what's ha- what happens with the pandemic is a lot of those sort of weaker companies that were stealing little bits and pieces of their business over, over a period of time have probably been washed out. They've come out fairly strong um, out of this. Uh, I think that Webbeds business was one of the fastest growing um, tech businesses, travel tech businesses in the world before the pandemic hit. So it, uh, it's probably given them a little bit of breathing space potentially to, um, you know, to get that absolutely right instead of trying to rush to market with it. Um, it's currently at the top of the trading range. It has struggled to break out up here. Uh, if you're short term, you might be trimming potentially. Um, but I think from a long term perspective, it's, it's more likely just to hold. Um, because you know, obviously, travel is a very discretionary uh, part of your spending, and whilst people are pretty keen to get um, get out there and get travelling, you know, if we have an impending recession coming up the next year, you, know, you would expect those, you know, that would be the first part of the budget to get cut. Um, well, particularly given where airline prices are heading at the moment, too. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd be I'd be more inclined for maybe a, a short term trim, uh, mm-hmm. with the, but despite the fact. You know, they are great results and it's good to see them, you know, coming back into profitability and uh, they've survived. So, um, so yeah, pro- but probably just a hold for now, uh, a short term trim if you uh, if you manage to buy some down in those lows. Phil. Look, I agree. I think it's a hold. Um, great result. We were always going to get back to post-COVID, uh, pre-COVID levels of spending. Uh, still, before today, there was a decent short position in the stock, about 5 to 6% short. It was 10% three months ago. So mm. some of today's rally might be short covering. Uh, my concern about their very positive outlook is, as you just mentioned, airline prices are nowhere near back to normal and mm. they're probably not going to get there anytime soon. The airline industry went through hell. They let a lot of people go. We're at full employment. Those people went and found other jobs. How do you get them back to get the capacity back on? We've all had flight delays because can't get attendance, can't get this, can't get that. We've sat at airports for a long time because they don't have the capacity. So um, will the very strong FY23 that they flagged, how much of that is pent up demand? People just, I'm just going to go on a holiday regardless and doing it. Um, and then you get through that and then the normal person says, well, I can't afford to travel to Bali or Singapore mm. or wherever like I used to, so let's, let's just put that off. And then if there's a slowdown, put it off even further. So this might be a Santa Claus rally um, in, in a recovery that was always going to happen, uh, but I'm not convinced they can get back-to-back years of growth given the lack of capacity in the industry at the moment. And some of this is most likely short covering, in my opinion, so it's, it's a halt for me. Yeah, Flight Centre and Webjet were the top two short of stocks on mm. the ASX for about a year or so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's still flat center still up there. Yep. yep. All right. Okay, let's uh, head into the financials now and one of the big four, ANZ, Brandon. Wanting a view on this one, um, I guess you could call it the, well, it's the little one of the big four. Uh, it has um, lost in terms of market cap and just in terms of its scale as well. Um, so, Phil, obviously it did buy into uh, Suncorp's uh, banking division there. It's, it's looking to, uh, to grow. 
it needs to. Um, and also, I guess the broker's saying, look, it's, it's PE is looking pretty attractive compared with the others, particularly CBA. Look, it, it is, uh, I think it's on a 10 times PE, mm. uh, 6% dividend yield. So that's not expensive, mm. uh, reasonably attractive. It's the macro we spoke earlier. It's the macro that we don't know. So we haven't seen um, housing prices really fall off a cliff. We haven't seen bad debts rise. Um, we haven't really seen a dent in business confidence to see what's happening with their lending. Um, interest rates are going up. That might help their net interest margin improve. But um, if a decline, if we get a decline in credit growth or demand for credit, the big four banks might start to fight each other for market share. Uh, so for me, it, it's a hold. Uh, you get a good divvy, it's not expensive, uh, but the macro suggests that maybe the next 12 months is a little more uncertain than some other sectors, so no need to rush in and buy it. But if you owned it and you're picking up a 6% dividend yield, not particularly expensive, some of that bad news is priced in, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't rush in and buy it, but no reason to sell it, so it's, it's a hold for me. So, so of the big four, how is it placed in your portfolio? Well, I think the market darling is still CBA. Westpac up until recently had the cost out strategy uh, until they actually said, well, hang given inflation, we can't take as many costs out uh, as you like. Uh, but for me, if you're going to look at the two banks, you look at ANZ because of the M&A and you look at Westpac because of the cost out, uh, the bigger ones, can they keep growing? Well, they have historically. I certainly wouldn't short or sell them because you know people have been calling CBA expensive for a long time and it keeps getting more expensive. Mm. Uh, I don't think the macro outlook for Australia is terrible. Mm. So you don't want to sell the banks. And as, as the world starts to invest again, they come back to Australia. The banks, the big resource companies is the first place they put some money. So they will run first before the small caps do. Um, so it's a hold on the sector, but if you wanted to buy some, I'd pick up at ANZ or, or Westpac before I do the other two on valuation, but valuation is not always important to people. Yep, okay, Mark? Yeah, I don't play a lot in the big four in terms of, uh, in terms of new money. Uh, we've obviously got a lot of clients who have got um, and legacy positions in those. Uh, we recently did a switch out of um, CBA around 103 into ANZ uh, a couple of months ago, around 22, because of the because of the valuation. Um, obviously, PE of 10 doubled the dividend basically overall, and um, so that's sort of. Though a lot of clients don't like to exit those positions, so I tend to uh, keep track of those big four and. ANZ particularly probably two months ago was you know was very very cheap compared to the other three so I might switch them around in the sectors. Um, I'm I'm a massive fan of Macquarie Bank. We generally are over I'm over allocated in that. Um, I particularly at the prices where it's been recently um, and its reliability um, you know, and return on equity over the last 10 20 years. So so, um, so that's where I usually tend to. Uh, to push new money, but uh, yeah, I, at, at the moment, at the big four, yeah, it, 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 it's a pretty decent valuation. CBA is back up around that 104 or mark or, or thereabouts, which doesn't seem particularly cheap. Um, and you know, if we have a market turned down, obviously, it, it quickly slipped to uh, you know those high 80s. Um, and look, dividends been done now. Um, I think Westpac will be extinct either today or tomorrow. I think right. thereabouts. So. Yep. Um, yeah, and I think it'll just it'll just ebb and flow with the broader market now. Um, we want, we're not really going to have too much news out of those guys. The, their net interest margin across all of the businesses have been improving quite well. So they, I would I'm sort of my general plan is essentially see how the housing market plays out once the fixed, um, you know, the fixed mortgages start to roll off February March mm. and see if there's any fallout from there. 
um, and and then more than likely have a look um, look at them then. Um, I think as well, there, there could be a, a bit of a jump. We've seen a little bit of a pattern in the US where there's been a jump in credit because people don't have the disposable income because they they were spending their savings from the pandemic and now they want to maintain their cost of uh, sorry their level of living, and they've started to you know tip, dip into those credit cards and things. So there is a you know the net interest margin on those products is you know enormously higher. So I I would. Not just yet for me. Um, they're definitely a hold uh, because they uh, they are on that P of ten and that high dividend yield. Yep. Um, but yeah, I just probably watch out just just as the economy starts to turn a little bit, and housing if housing prices start to turn well, you know they may just have a rough six months, and that'll be your opportunity to probably buy them long term. They'll actually, you know, look look very cheap in terms of a historical average. All right, and in fact, yes, Westpac has gone ex-div today, and that's why it is down. 1.9%. The other three are up more than 1% as a result. Uh, all right, let's uh, get into a bit of a thematic uh, that we've got playing uh, over the next couple of stocks. Uh, the first one being Austin Engineering. It is a, uh, a Perth-based company. Uh, partners with mining uh, companies, contractors, equipment manufacturers, sort of essentially creating engineering uh, solutions uh, for you know, in terms of building trucks, trays, buckets, you know, in the mining sector and, and beyond. Uh, also recently announced it's buying the uh, mining equipment manufacturer Maintech for just uh, under 20 million mark. Yeah, this, uh, on the face of it, it looks like a really solid company overall. Um, it's on five continents, net margins, um, that margin's really good and double the double the industry average. Um, it's got a high return on equity overall. Um, it's not really a sector we're very focused on at the moment um, because we're essentially just you know we're worried about you know our outlooks probably you know a little a little bit shorter term in terms of um, the medium out. We're just a little bit concerned about recession coming up. Um, but I can really see, particularly our view on the miners, um, you know, China coming back online. It's going to happen eventually. There's been a lot of false starts. It's been very tricky to predict, but they will come back on at some stage, which will obviously push commodity prices up, and that'll improve, I would imagine, the ability for most mining companies to pay these guys. Um, but yeah, the stats look the stats look really good, and you know, analyst consensus is my friend here. Is, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I think there is, there is a fair bit of upside in it, but the numbers all seem to be going in the right direction, and mm. it's just whether, it's just how you want to time it overall. If your if your outlook is that the building, you know, and mining infrastructure in, in you know, services industry is going to going to be a little bit sort of uh, held back by labour constraints, obviously, and then you know potentially um, a recession next year, then there may be it may be better uh, better times to buy. But I, I'd be just more buying dips, um, and I'd probably just call it a hold at this stage. Um, but more so because it's not really a sector I'm massively focused on. Yep. So. Okay. Well, uh, Phil, you're a little more focused on it. So what's uh, your take? So I think it's a buy. Um, what I like about their business is they make effectively disposable products. So think of a dump truck. Mm. Dump truck costs about five to $10 million, uh, comes with a tray. The tray um, bears all the impact from uh, the rocks being pounded on it daily. Austin makes the trays. So the tray costs about $500,000. Mm. Dump truck lasts about 10 years. The tray needs to be replaced in that 10 year period about two or three times because that gets all the damage. So um, it's regular recurring revenue. Um, it's trays, you can buy a Caterpillar truck with a Caterpillar tray or you can buy a Caterpillar truck without the tray 
and get a customised Austin tray specific to the commodity, the mine, the terrain, etc. So that's why people buy Austin trays, um, and they're also light, about three tonnes lighter than the OEM. So mm, okay. that's why people like them. Um, the interesting thing is it is exposed to volumes because uh, obviously more, more, more throughput, more damage. It's in the iron ore, gold, and coal sectors, among others, but they're the main ones. Prices have been volatile. Yeah. Uh, Volumes have not been as volatile as the price. Think about coal. Coal prices, both net and thermal, have spiked. Mm. Production didn't go up because we can't produce anymore. Mm. No one's building any more coal mines. So the volumes didn't go up in proportion to price and therefore shouldn't come down in proportion to price. I know different, but as Mark said, if China comes back on, then that's, um, that's, uh, that's very good for their clients and then very good for them. So we like it because it's, it's the old big shaver example. You, you give away the the handle and yeah. you have to buy the blades. Yes, yeah, the, the consumables, the that's it's, what it's you the want to be in. Yeah. Yes, and that's what they yeah. sell at consumer. And they made a great acquisition in Maintech, bought a smaller business where they can bring their economies of scale and steel purchasing, apply that to Maintech and get some synergies just from the steel manufacturing. And they've got another product to sell to their customers in Australia, North America and South America. So they've mm. given guidance uh, when you include the acquisition for almost 30% growth in profits uh, this financial year. Trading in around I think eight times PE, not expensive. Mm. Um, I think it's, a, it's worth a look given that they, they sell disposable products to a sector that we need and isn't gonna go away anytime soon. All right, that is Austin Engineering. Uh, as I said, similarly in the space, SRG Global, uh, limited Nick wanting to know about this. So Phil, this is what engineering specialist, maintenance, mining services, and the like. Yeah, engineering construction. So builds bridges, dams, roads, um, buildings, uh, facades, that kind of stuff. The industry. Uh, what I like about the industry, back to the macro, is two hundred billion dollars per annum spent on engineering and construction projects in Australia, and that's forecast to grow into two thousand twenty-five. I have doubts whether it can grow because we can't, full employment, we can't get the people to do the work, but there is demand there. So demand will grow into 2025. Um, they've done a great job over the last three years. Their work in hand as at 30 June was $1.3 billion. That's up 30% on the prior corresponding period. For the first four months to date, they've already announced $455 million of contract wins, which is about two thirds of what they announced for the entire year. So there's plenty of work out there, and they've uh, they've told the market what their tenders and pipeline was as at August, six billion dollars. So you've got a 300 mil market cap company tendering on six billion dollars worth of work. Mm. There's a lot of work out there that will be over multiple years. They've given guidance. They gave guidance in June for FY23 of EBITDA growth of 25% after growing 22% in FY22. We like the space. Uh, I, I cover this stock. It's on, um, what did I say, 10 times PE. Um, strong sector, strong company doing well in the sector. Lots of work out there. Yep. Uh, I, I think it's a buy. A buy. Yeah. Okay. Mark. Yeah, look, the stats look really good. And I, I just noticed as well, their gross margin is quite high, whereas their net margin comes back to back to the industry, um, industry average, which means... Look, obviously, if they, get, if they gain some efficiency or some economies of scale, there is a huge amount, um, you know, they could possibly pick up their net margin uh, quite considerably overall. Um, it doesn't turn over a lot of volume from what I can see. Um, but look, the, which that, I mean, that sort of concerns me slightly. But um, now this one looked really good on the stats, the dividend yield. Um, and obviously that pipeline as well. Um, it's not really a field of expertise for me in terms of, 
I saw them obviously getting two thirds of their expected uh, contracts. Whether um, whether that's necessarily sustainable or not, but but look, it's certainly a good start to the year, and it certainly it gives you some you know some surety in a in a in a very uncertain world. So. Now this one, um, I'd, I'd never really been, I'd never really looked into it too much, but it was certainly one I, I sort of put on my watch list for sure. So, uh, you look given the given the amount of volume um, that goes through on it, you want to be committed to it just in case it, it does turn on you. But mm. um, but given the pipeline overall and and the current stats, it, it looks relatively cheap. So um, I think yeah, I, I think I'd have it, I'd be having a nibble at this for sure. Right, you're talking yourself into it. Uh, the more I looked at it, the more, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, and then, you know, Philip always backed that up. There was certain things I didn't know there as sure. well. So, it, um, yeah, we, we just haven't, we haven't been focused on these types of businesses. And, uh, and obviously, I, I don't think industrials have been sort of thrown out, babies thrown out with the bathwater. So, it, maybe it's just, it, you know, there is a few diamonds in the rough there that are just flying under the radar. That All have, right. Have got well, uh, let's see if we can have a crack at the next one in that space as well. Uh, Acro, uh, Eric wanted to know about this. It is uh, formwork, construction, uh, provides sort of uh, engineered scaffolding, screen systems, um, engineering in the, and in the construction sector. So, uh, Mark, similarly, what are your thoughts then on Acro? Um, having a look through their, uh, their annual report, if they do what they say they're going to do in the report, then this is a, this is a very good buy. Overall, I would have thought. Um, they did spend a lot of money in the last year, but the return on equity um, or return on investment um, on the things they were buying, the scaffolding and the like, is, um, is enormous and, and very repeatable. So. Um, so yeah, look, this is uh, on the on the face of it. They're obviously they're spending money to make money, but I think the, the big amount that they've spent in the last year is probably that it will that will um, transform into profits uh, going forward. And and again, it's it's got a really good net margin, so it's not really going to get squeezed too much. Its return on equity is really consistent as well. Uh, double the industry um, return on equity and. Um, and, and about 40% higher than the average industry net margin. So, um, so yeah, it, it looks on the face of it um, that they spend a little bit too much money, but if you actually look, dig a little bit deeper into it, um, what they bought will, will end up re, um, resulting in a really good return on investment over the next couple of years, if they do what they mm. say they were gonna do um, in the report. So management um, haven't really Given any major excuses, um, given us made any major excuses not to believe that they will that they'll follow through on that. So, yeah, I'm happy, I'm pretty happy to give this a buy. All right, okay, cool. No, I think it's a buy. We like the stock as well. Um, again, their margins are above industry because they have some specialist skills, so they're not being competed away um, with other players. But if you look at what they've delivered last four years since listing. Revenues up 23% per annum, EBITDA up almost 30, EPS up 57%, uh, and return on equity, which is very important, has gone from 15% to 25% in the last 12 months. So they are reinvesting well in a sector with a lot of pent up demand and not a lot of pricing tension given that just the skills aren't there, let alone the, the heads. So we like this one, we like the macro drivers and we like what the company's done over the last four years and think it'll continue to deliver uh, for the next four years. So. We're happy to back this one as a buy. Good one. That is a double buy. So that's one for our investment committee to consider in Acro. All right. Well, let's uh, sum up where we've been for the first half of the show. We began with our stock of the day, uh, which was uh, ASX. That's off the back of the announcement there that it's ditching or at least pausing 
on its chest replacement scheme, which has uh, been plaguing uh, the, com- the company for so long now. Um, Mark uh, has a sell on it, uh, saying it doesn't yield enough, uh, points to the fact it's a monopoly, perhaps it's uh, ripe for the, for the picking there. Uh, whereas Fuel has a buy on it, perhaps for that reason as well, given, it's, uh, given it is a monopoly. Um, to our first stock, as picked by you, Webjet, um, which was actually out with the results today, which impressed a big turnaround, uh, given what we're seeing in that space at the moment, uh, given travel is clearly back on. Uh, Mark's got a hold on it, um, saying it's pretty much at the top of its trading range, uh, perhaps with a trim, um, and Phil has a hold on it. ANZ, uh, one of the big four, a hold from Phil. Um, he's saying you need to be conscious of what's going on at a macro level, clearly. And uh, Mark also a hold, his uh, preferred uh, one in that space uh, in finance, uh, fin- in the financials is, macro- is um, Macquarie. Then into our, um, our three stocks here that we've had in a similar sort of space in mining services and construction. Uh, Austin Engineering, a hold from Mark. Um, perhaps by the dips is saying a buy from Phil um, saying need to be conscious of the volumes uh, that are likely to increase out of China if that uh, starts reopening SRG Global uh, Phil has a buy on it uh, saying plenty of uh, contracts uh, with six billion dollars in the works in fact um, Mark's willing to take a nibble at it and Acro there a double buy from both all right Let's uh, check in on the uh, calls portfolio. We are tracking it's a high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest of that is uh, live here to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the latest updates and going into November, Instantech Pivot was removed, Seven Group was added, and Mineral Resources was trimmed. JB Hi-Fi and West Farmers weightings were increased. So let's see how it's performing. And so far, the fund up 7.8% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March. So keep sending in your requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while. And although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools. Plus, our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum the CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, welcome back. For the second half of the show, we'll be taking a look at Regal Partners, Saunders International, Kogan, BHP, and QBE. So let's kick it off with Regal Partners. Um, part of that love triangle that we've spoken about before, actually, where you've got uh, Perpetual and Pendle, uh, which we have uh, looked at recently. So let's take a look at, at uh, Regal. In fact, Perpetual has knocked back again its takeover bid from a consortium which involves Regal and also the private equity firm BPEA. Um, which Regal has described as disappointing. And then Perpetual and Pendle, uh, they're also, that's in court in terms of a revised, uh, their merger terms. Uh, a lot of moving parts there at the moment, Phil. So um, how are you looking at Regal? Regal is a client of our firm, so strong buy. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Over to you, Mark. No, um, look, Regal is a quality operation. I think uh, there were a six releases today from Perpetual and Pendle court ruling saying it's more harder to get out of the uh, mm. agreement than, than first thought. So Pendle, if I understood it correctly, 
Pendle may, may be able to force the merger to go through should they. I don't think it'll be hostile and I wouldn't buy Regal on that basis. You buy Regal um, because it's a unique funds manager. Uh, the acquisition uh, or the merger um, uh, uh, with Michael, with uh, Rob Luciano's mob. Um, BGI? BGI. BGI well, gives them considerable scale and that's mm. probably one thing they've been missing historically. You put two fund managers together, even if you keep uh, the team separate, the synergy of the back office synergies of material. Uh, so you buy a fund manager for the funds under management growth and for the fees it generates. And um, Regal Partners in calendar 21, because they're a um, December year end, I think they did circa uh, 160-odd million in performance fees, uh, which is about 65% of its revenue for the year. Analysts tend not to forecast that repeating every year. So I think consensus or what we cover the stock, uh, not me though. Uh, I think we have performance fees, half or less than half of total fees going forward. Regal has a number of funds, my understanding, look at the surveys, it's actually performing quite well. So mm. if they can get back-to-back performance fees of that size, there's consensus upgrades coming. And that's why you buy a fund manager like Regal. It's an alternative uh, funds management. It's not traditional funds. So um, it, there is uh, some logic if you're a traditional super fund or an industry fund to allocate money to an alternative manager for diversification reasons. Uh, and they're on par to get another potentially cracker of performance fee in calendar 22. Um, you buy Regal for that reasons and we think it's cheap. So we, we think it's a buy. Okay, Mark. It's been a tumultuous year for funds managers. Mm. Um, I mean, this one essentially merged or was almost a backdoor listing kind of scenario, really, with VGI. Um, that added a great deal of uncertainty, but, but their performance traditionally has been outstanding. Um, and I think any sort of uncertainty in that funds management sector this year has just been taken you know, really poorly. And um, I, so I think, they're fairly, I think they're undervalued here at the moment. Um, it's, yeah, they are obviously a bit more of a hedge fund style um, so they can make money in you know up and down markets as well, um, and obviously you know that the where you're seeing all these fund fund managers trying to consolidate is they're trying to get the economies of scale and um, and you know being involved um, obviously getting that from the VGI I think as well I think it'll, we'll just need more we'll just need more data and more reporting I would say overall but um, based on um, you know I had I had a couple of clients with VGI funds and. Um, and, I, and my view was, in doing the research when Regal came on and, and when they changed the name, etc., was this should be now a better business um, with Regal on board. So, um, based on their based on their historic performances. So, but it just the the numbers are really murky now because it's not you know there's been a tra- there's been obviously been a transition. We won't know where they're going to where they're going to cut costs and improve the economies of scale. It could be much as Philip alluded to. It could it could be much more those performance fees, mm. may, and if it goes seamlessly, this thing's unbelievably cheap. Um, but I think, you know, overall, I think it's yeah, it's definitely a buy here at the moment, uh, and when particularly when the market starts to settle down a little bit, um, and they can read, and they've got a couple of um, you know ASX reporting under their belt, and people can see the numbers a little bit clearer. I think that'll become more, even more and more apparent as time goes on. All right. Okay. A double buy there for Regal. Keep an eye on that. All right. Our next one is Saunders International. Aidan wants to know about this one. It was sort of back into that uh, construction area. Uh, recently awarded a $44 million contract to build uh, an aviation fuel terminal at the new uh, Western Sydney 
International Airport. In fact, Phil, I'm going to start with you because I do note that Shaw's has a buy on it. Yeah, one of my stocks. So yeah, I, yeah. I like the space. I like what they're doing. So different part of the space. Their specialty is um, building bridges, building fuel storage uh, tanks. We don't have enough fuel storage um, in Australia. We're supposed to have 90 days worth of fuel. We've got somewhere between 30 and 70, depending on usage. So if there's a global blockage in terms of fuel, you know, uh, the, the military's in has some issues, we can, uh, fuel prices hike up and we, we're, we've already got fuel prices at record highs, we can't really have them um, much higher. So there is about a billion dollars of government money to be spent on increasing our fuel storage capi- uh, um, capability, both in defence uh, and in normal fuel storage, and they're well placed to win some of that work. Um, they also have, a, there's also a large New South Wales government project to fix New South Wales bridges connecting country and city some of these bridges are you know decades old 100 years old and there's 500 million in government funding uh to the fixing new south wales bridges well and you would imagine there'd be a lot of that going on at the moment given the devastation of floods have uh, wrought in uh, in the center of the state and that needs to be repaired victoria as well so this work isn't going away and there's a handful of companies that can actually do it so they um they had an agm last week and they put out really solid uh guidance for at the midpoint of their range both revenue and EBIT to be up 50 percent uh, in the in the coming 12 months there's so much work out there margins are holding up as well so again macro strong they are delivering margins have been going up the MD and CFO have done a great job in improving their EBIT and ROE over the last few years and there's no um, there's no side of ending to all the work that's uh, to be done in the next three years in their space so we like it we think it's a buy yep okay Mark yeah, having a look at uh, this one, I like the government, um, you know, the government based is the customer. I think that that pretty much ensures they'll maintain their margins. Um, obviously, floods, uh, you know, they do the, the bridges and the fuel are, are, two, are two areas where we do need infrastructure spending. Um, we've had, uh, obviously, a fair bit of infrastructure spending be approved and, you know, and not all of it has been rolled out. Uh, and they've got a decent track record of managing their costs overall as well. So I, I would, um, I would think the only the only issue with this would be finding staff uh, with the unemployment rate as low as it is. But that was really the only risk I could find with this one um, overall. So, and and I guess their ability to expand their margin means that because they've got government contracts means that they you know potentially um, can pay a little bit more uh, as opposed to. Um, a company doing services to private uh, to private businesses as well. So, yeah, if and it's one of those ones yet again that if if they do what they say, even if they do eighty you percent know, of what they say in the AGM, mm. I mean this one's this one's a great buy. And and I and I really like it's you know infrastructure, pretty hard to get anything in the infrastructure area that's not pretty overpriced at the moment. So. Um, even though it's you know it's a relatively small cap, um, you know I'd, I'd be pretty happy to uh, to give this one a buy as well. Yep. Actually, yeah. okay, all right, that is another one to consider. Then Saunders International is a double buy. All right, let's now get into the online retailer. Kogan uh, has had its uh, troubles uh, certainly this year, uh, given what we've seen. Of, I guess people returning to the shops, it's been wrestling with its inventory levels. Gross sales uh, for the three months of September declining. 39% active customers down more than 12%. Gross profit down 40%. It is uh, has been difficult for Kogan, Mark. So uh, how are you looking at it? There is very little, if anything, to like um, with the recent numbers, I've got to say. Uh, it was a COVID darling. Um, the directors sold and a truckload of... Uh, 
of their shares, and that was probably your first red flag. And uh, since then, it's fallen from twenty-three dollars to three dollars. So, uh, I I don't see this improving anytime soon. I, I think it had a, an extraordinary opportunity in that COVID period, um, and it's and I, I think the business tries to do too many things. Um, it's in just about everything, uh, and and. It's all right if you do if you, if you can expand if you're doing one core product really well and then you yeah. start expanding out from there. But from what I can see, they're doing just about everything. Yeah, insurance, well, mobile phones. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it, you know. and they but but they're doing most things mediocre at best. So I, I I would think that management needs to like step back and have a wholesale look at their business and go well let's focus on the good areas of our business and mm. stop trying to. Especially with, I mean, you've got to have staff to do all these things as well, um, unless they've got call centres offshore. Um, but yeah, it's it really isn't is not a stock I'd be going anywhere near until management showed at least a plan to you know to improve or stem the bleeding, mm. um, and then you know and then actually six months later execute that plan. So this is off. I mean, look, it might be a trading stock. They may, may pull some decent results or whatever, but from an investment standpoint, it's, it's, a, it's one to two reports away from even being on our radar. Overall. All right, so, so an avoid or at least a sell then? Oh, it's, yeah, I would not be. It's an avoid, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. Phil? Uh, avoid is a great word. Avoid, <laughs> yeah. sell. Right. Uh, if you have ridden it down this far, you know, what, what do you do? I would have sold it. At the last well, AG, it, AGM, yeah. If you haven't point, sold it, uh, just it, write it off. Sell, right? Um, okay. uh, as Mark said, they've diversified into things that weren't their reason for being a number of years ago. Management kept selling shares, and then there was a whole issue themselves. Some options that were in the money in the big fight at the AGM, where they've just got over the line for me. ESG gets a cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's the alignment with the other shareholders? Uh, was a pretty, um, you know, cycling off a high base, uh, obviously during COVID, gross sales down 39% in the first quarter. They don't have a bricks and mortar offering to switch to, like a Maya, like a Premier, like a JB Hi-Fi. You either buy online from them or you don't. And um, with people moving around this Christmas, we've talked about the Santa Rally. The Santa Rally will come from people at the Westfields, at the shopping centres, you know, buying mm. their donuts, their coffees, mm. their clothes. No one wants to shop online on a, on a sunny day like today. Uh, in, they flagged too much inventory. Um, they want to reduce it by $60 million. Does that mean discounting? We don't know. Do they, are they actually selling products that were last year's products as we were consuming at home, or do they have some products that people want to buy in the next 12 months? Mm. Uh, it's a sell from me. All right. It's, yeah. not, it's not the first inventory issues yeah. they've had either. And... Um, and look, you've got great companies like JB Hi-Fi that are in the same um, yeah. space that are trading at fairly decent, you know. But they levels. do have those shop fronts. What about a perhaps a, a similar company in Temple and Webster, which is a little more concentrated, as you were talking about? Mm. What, 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 how would you well, treat the, that? Temple and Webster have had far, you know far better results, better momentum. Yeah. I think I think you know it will be painful to sell this stock at three dollars fifty mm. when you bought it, but the best chance of you getting your money back. Is investing in something, you know, of high quality. Um, in my opinion, I don't think just because you've bought it at ten dollars, the market doesn't know you anything. The market doesn't know who you are. Yeah. So, if it's if it you know it, if you if you should be basically switching out and because I have a lot of clients who 
who really struggle to bite the bullet sometimes, mm. and, it, and, it, and it hurts them. Well, um, you've got to know when to hold them and when to fold them, yeah? In the, in the words of Kenny Rogers, exactly. yes. So, <laughs> when to walk away and know when to run. Yeah. So, um, and this one's a run for yeah. me, so. All yeah. right, has been unfortunate if you have been writing it down. All right, let's uh, get into uh, the biggest of them all, BHP. And um, its shares doing very well, particularly over the past week or so. In fact, over the past month, up more than 12%, um, based on clearly iron ore, copper prices. And then, um, Phil, you've also got the issue of China potential with the reopening there. Um, so, how do you look at BHP at the moment? And Oz Minerals. Uh, my colleague yep. uh, Rocky covers it. He has a buy on it. I have no reason to disagree uh, with his buy call. From a, a lay person's point of view, you look at what BHP has done over the last 12 months, it's, um, it's consolidated its listings, it's sold out non-core assets and it's looking to deploy capital, I think it paid a special, uh, and it's looking to deploy capital into areas where it can generate a, a stronger return on capital. I think that's uh, copper and nickel, hence the, as the paper reports say, it's interesting in Oz Minerals. So I like to see companies making changes saying this theme's played out or the returns on capital in that sector. Um, what they used to be, let's redeploy capital over here. Um, you know, management gets a tick from me. It'd be interesting to see what happens if there has been or will be a revised Oz Minerals bid. That makes sense to us for them to go down that route. Um, but yeah, we think BHP at 10 times PE um, is a, a good long-term buy. So you're saying it would make sense if it keeps pursuing Oz Minerals at this point? To a lay person like me, it makes sense to, uh, to move. I think copper, copper tends to be uh, more steady than something like a coal or an iron ore. Yep. Uh, and certainly, I think it's certainly the right space for them to invest capital into. All right, M Mark. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with the copper play. Uh, Oz Minerals, it's getting very expensive where it is. If you go and look at global competitors like First Quantum, um, Oz Minerals isn't cheap at $25, that's for sure. And they've got a lot, it's, a, it's an interesting proposition with that is, is that they've got two, and, two to three years of pretty big capital expenditure for what's going to end up being a, an outstanding you know, copper and nickel resource there in Western Australia for Oz Minerals. So that's what BHP's you know, got its eye on, obviously. Uh, there's been a bit of a battle between Wailu and uh, Andrew Forrest's private um, uh, metals uh, company for nickel assets, and BHP's, I think, missed out a couple of times as well. So um, I agree in terms of um, you know, buying Oz Minerals because of the asset that it's going to be, and BHP can have that time, you know, that, that extended timeline. Um, I, you know, they don't want to pay too much for it, though, because something like you know, first, first Quantum and in Canada has cobalt, nickel and um, copper assets and produces about 10 times more copper, copper and it's only about twice the market cap. So, it, you know, I, I wouldn't, if I was an Oz Mineral shareholder, I wouldn't be hoping for, you know, a massively extended bid, but I think it's, you know, BHP can absorb, it's only 3% of their market cap. It's mm. not like, if they slightly overpay, it's not gonna kill them. So, um, but yeah, I think BHP's making all the right moves. Yeah. Uh, you know, that move to copper, um, that move to nickel is, um, is, is a very smart move. There's copper inventories are incredibly low globally at the moment. There's been a, um, a distinct lack of any copper mines being opened in the world over the last two years. Uh, I think it's going to end up being the next thing that, that gets squeezed so, to the upside. Okay, well on that basis then, a diversified mine like BHP, or do you actually go the, the, the pure copper play like a Sandfire for instance? Sandfire's another one with a lot of capex in the pipeline over the next couple of years. So you're not going to get, we've been buying XMET, which is about four, is a new beta shares ETF. Mm. Um, 
which is about 40% copper, but it's got really high quality established producers of very large scale in Canada um, and the US, etc. So, uh, that, and that one's got a little bit of lithium in it and a little bit of nickel as well, but mm. global exposure. But it's all it's all pick of the litter in those sectors. So that's what we've been going for at the moment. And it, we could, we've been overweight BHP um, since you know we've, in the last sort of few months. We've been trimming that uh, just the overweight portion to go right. back to our initial core holding. And um, and that potash business that they're going to open in the next couple of years, the uh, about five point seven billion in capital expenditure for that, and yep. it's going to have four point seven billion in revenue the first year. It's nine thousand square kilometres. Um, that's fertiliser, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that um, and that 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 shift and that that five, that ten, that twenty year plan that BHP has, as opposed to their traditional, you know, twenty years ago they'd just go out and buy crappy mines when they had a pot of cash. Yeah, they're they're much more strategic now. And well, I, yeah, underlines I, that diversity. I, of the I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't so, be surprised to see this in the mid fifties. Absolute so, buy. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. A double buy then, a strong buy there for BHP. All right. Let's round it out with the insurer QBE. Um, let's take a look at actually Morgan's there. Uh, they've got it as a top uh, dividend share to buy because it's positive about uh, rising premiums um, at the moment and also cost reductions that's uh, being imposed on the company and it has, of course, offloaded uh, that. Um, uh, no, sorry, I was thinking of something else. But yeah, uh, obviously that's a positive there as far as uh, QBE is concerned. Yet also you've got to factor in what's going on with natural disasters around the country at the moment. Mark, what's your uh, what's your view then on QBE? We're not a massive fan of insurers, just on a, particularly with interest rates being so low um, in the last year. Uh, obviously they're improving now. So they get they, their profit margins will, in, will improve holding those premiums and being able to you know get some yield out of the bonds. But I don't think they are, they are pricing their risk properly. So when we hold something like QBE, we'll hold something like JLG with it, the repairer, um, as a as a soft hedge. Um, that we've done very well out of JLG um, overall, and they're expanding, and that seems to be going well. But we just don't think they're, they're quite pricing the risk of the climate change um, of climate change and the you know obviously these once in a hundred year weather events happening you know once every two to three years so we we yeah just to reduce the risk basically invest in the repairer as well because they're mm. going to do well mm. um, and and it's until they basically get to a point where I mean look if interest rates peak at you know higher than what analysts are expecting this will do. This will do better yet again. But um, yeah, that, that's how we generally like to play it overall. Um, just having that, having that little bit of a hedge there. Uh, but they should do better over the next year. But they they're not great at risking. Uh, I look. I'd, I'd hold it as a pairs trade. I'd, I'd, yep. Not as an outright trade. All right, Phil. Uh, don't disagree. Um, I do think it's a buy though. It's on eight times PE and materially below consensus um, valuations for, for what that's worth. Uh, largely North American these days, bit of Europe um, growing into North America, growing into the ag space. Rising inflation is good for them, premiums go up and if you can keep the same margin off a higher premium, that's a uh, higher insurance margin for them. And they are a beneficiary of, of interest rates. So, you know, interest rates have been nothing. Uh, they, would, they would invest across the, the spectrum, not just cash, but, you know, long-term bonds as well. So there, there is the uh, pricing adjustment when interest rates go up. But generally speaking, new premiums are being invested in higher yielding bonds. Uh, or fixed interest security, so that uh, goes dollar for dollar straight to their bottom line. So it's a good way to play or to hedge the rising interest rate environment. A lot of the long duration stocks mm. will get hit by that. 
So another way to hedge is to buy something like a, a QBE with benefits from rising interest rates. Mm. And as long as management can execute with their US growth strategy, then they should deliver the earnings growth over time. The share price versus consensus um, price targets suggest the market's got a question over that. So if they can demonstrate their December year end, so if they can demonstrate with their full year results that they are moving in the right direction, you stock could get a re-rate um, in Feb next year when they report. So I think it's a buy. Yep. Um, not a strong buy, but I think it's a buy at current price given at eight times PE well below analyst price targets. Uh, if they can say something decent with their full year results, I think it'll get a re-rate. All right, good one. Okay, so let's uh, summarise the second half of the show then. Regal Partners, um, that, uh, well, Phil saying it's similar to Shores, therefore he's got a buy on it. He's saying it is uh, unique funds matter, it is cheap. Uh, Mark agrees saying it's undervalued. He also has a buy on it. Uh, and Saunders International, we're back in that space again. Uh, in fact, this is uh, focusing on building bridges and aviation, uh, uh, well, fuel uh, storage terminals. And Phil pointed out the fact there's a shortage of those at the moment. And also given what's going on with uh, some of the flooding damage, uh, need for building bridges, a buy. And uh, Michael's has got a buy on it as well, saying if you've got the government as a customer, then that's clearly a good thing. Uh, Kogan there, very different. Um, the online retailer, both saying avoid it. If you're in it, you've got to sell it, even if you've ridden it down thus far. Uh, BHP, a buy from both, um, particularly given where it's going and the potential with copper at the moment, and it's still got its designs on Oz Minerals. And uh, finally there, QBE Insurance, bit of a difference of an opinion there. Well, Mark does have a hold on it, uh, although saying it's not pricing risk appropriately, and Phil's saying it is a buy with uh, a P eight times. All right, that is the show. And uh, to our guests, thanks very much. Phil, thanks for joining us from Shores. Thank you. And Mark from Macro. Thank you. Always good. Thanks for joining us. All right, any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email at the call at ausbiz.com or you can tweet us at ausbiztv and you can find those stocks we have in the calls portfolio. Head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Coming up next, Wicked Problems, Visionary Investors. Stay with us. Mm-hmm.